0: Gloucester Tales Series 3, The Great Gloucester Novel. Back in 2015, local writer Andrew Thorne ran The Great Gloucester Novel, a project funded by Arts Council England. Community groups around the city worked with him to generate ideas for short stories. These stories were then developed into a full-length novel called The Pride of Gloucester. Now, This series presents some of the original short stories read by Andrew Thorne and presented by me, your host, Jarek Adams. Hi, and welcome to episode four of The Great Gloucester Novel. Today's
1: story is called Brains.
0: So, Andrew, tell us what prompted this story.
1: Well, this one comes from suggestions from a proper traditional social club. Uh, a couple of dozen friends who organise themselves to get together every week at their local community centre to set up activities like outings, raffles, lectures, stuff like that. I got the opportunity to talk about how stories are structured And talking about settings led to the old Gloucester prison, which had closed down and was in talks for redevelopment. That prompted a crime story angle and lots of the club were into twisty, turny crime thrillers. So the ideas just poured out of them and the story actually came together pretty quickly.
0: Okay, so listener, join us after the story for a chat and uh, sit yourself down comfortably while we present Brains.
1: This was, of course, when Gloucester Prison was still open, just before it closed, in fact. It was my first and only stretch in prison. I'd been in a pretty poor state. The recession had hit, I was broke, ruined, about to lose my flat. I saw an opportunity and I took it. I couldn't help myself. Of course, I I got nabbed almost immediately. Didn't know what I was doing, did I? But they got me on some piddling little charge and I... I thought if I kept my mouth shut and did a couple of months, I'd be home free. They had to stick me somewhere for one night till there was space where I was going. It was the last night Gloucester Nick was open, so a lot of prisoners had been moved out and there were spaces. They had one wing left with people in it, and they stuck me in there in a cell with an old guy who looked about 90. Poor old sod. Never been in a cell before. Kind of scared, I'll admit it. The old guy seemed okay, but some of the others I'd seen, I didn't like the look of them one bit. Lights out, just a bit of moon shining in through the window, making shadows. First night inside, son, came the old man's voice from the top bunk. (laughs) Yeah, I said, trying to sound tough. What of it? The old guy chuckled. You don't have to put on a front for me, lad. We know what prison life's like. I've seen the inside of an awful lot of lock-ups. Yeah, well, you shouldn't have got caught so much, should you? (laughs) Not exactly what I meant, but I suppose it's why I've got such a long stretch now. got another year ahead of me. How about you? Two months. Ah, hardly any time at all. Seems like long enough. Well, tonight, well. Doubt you'll get any sleep first night. No one does. He was right. I couldn't stop shaking. So what would you do to earn a year's time? I asked. Big one this time. He started laughing low. The best thing is, they didn't find the loot. I leaned out from my bunk to try and see the man above, but he was completely hidden. So, what? You're the world's oldest bank robber then. (laughs) Ha ha! Kind of. More of a bank scam, actually. You? Uh, They just pulled me because I had a knife. Yeah? Time for just having a knife? Sounds like a misdemeanour to me. I shrugged, even though he couldn't see me do it. Then we were silent for a while. But slowly I I started to freak out. The dark, the quiet, the uncertainty of the new. It was all too much. You okay? Came the old guy's voice. You're breathing funny. You're not fiddling with yourself down there, are you? What? No, I just, I, just, I mean, I get it. There was a noise. Then the old guy was struggling down to my bunk. Hey, what are you doing? Calm down, fella. Just making sure you're not having a heart attack. He sat on the end of my bunk and I retreated to the other end, pulling my knees up in front of me. You want to know my story? He asked. "Keep your thoughts off things. May as well. You're not going to get any sleep. Sure. OK. I was a copper. What? Don't worry. Look at me. I'm 86. Hardly a copper now, am I? But boy, I used to be brilliant. Brains, they used to call me. No one could touch me. Trouble is, time passes. You get older. Soon enough, you're supposed to retire. I didn't want to go, of course, and the top brass didn't want me to, so they kept me on as a consultant. But all those young Turks coming up through the ranks, they looked down their noses at me, like experience and intelligence weren't anything. For them, having the right qualifications were the thing. So I sat in my corner all day, twiddling my thumbs, listening to the comments they made about me as they went past. I watched them struggling on their flaming obvious cases while shutting me out. Then eventually, uh, well, it were a little thing that broke the camel's back. One of them called me Grandad. It wasn't even meant as an insult, but it snapped me. What'd you do? Deck one? No, nothing so crude. He leaned closer. I decided to show them. I'd had decades of solving crimes and "'seeing the criminal's mistakes. "'So if anyone could pull off the unsolvable, it was me.' "'Seriously? A perfect crime? "'No, not a perfect crime. "'The perfect crime is not knocking over a stranger and taking her wallet. "'As long as no one sees you and you wear gloves, you're golden. "'Anyone could have done it. "'Seize a random opportunity and never get caught, ever. "'Yeah?' Or as long as there are no witnesses and you don't do anything stupid like drop your driver's licence. He chuckled. No, it's when people start to plan crimes the problem starts. Every detailed step reduces the number of people who could do the crime. You plan one of them high-tech movie heists and you're bound to get caught. Only ten people in the world can pick the lock on the magic computer safe. Only five of them can leap from one rooftop to another. Those crimes are crap crimes. But that's what I wanted to do. Not the perfect crime, but the most intricate, complex, stupid crime I could come up with. But I still wanted to baffle those young bastards, really show them up. I shook my head. Mine was an opportunist crime, so how come I got caught then? Well, you just said it was for possession of a knife. Yeah, but I took a chance. What do you call it? Random. I saw the chance to grab a cash box from a security van and legged it. Well, there's your problem right there. Those things have got cameras all over them. At least I got away with mine. (laughs) I got away with mine too. I grinned in the dark. Yeah, right. You already said they got you for having a knife. Yeah, but I told them I lost the box while I was running. (laughs) Amateur. Do you want to hear my story or not? Go on then. Tell me your perfect crime. Ha! He shook his head, like I'd hand the plan straight over to you. Suffice to say, I had it all worked out, but then I hit a snag. What snag? My conscience. Being a copper all these years, it's pretty hard to do a turnaround. I decided just planning it were enough. I'd proved myself to myself that I could make them look fools. But then I realised I could have the best of both worlds. How? Well, I wrote the old thing up as a training exercise. That way I could prove they were idiots without having to do the crime. Uh, I'm guessing you did the crime, though. Well, that's the thing. Trouble with writing a plan down is someone else can see it. Like your grandkids. (laughs) Ha! So you are a granddad. Well, yeah. Like any granddad, I got a bit of a blind spot for the kids... I've always known, really, that they were bad'uns. But you can know something without allowing yourself to really believe it. You know what I mean? Well, I suppose. And you want to protect your own. So when I realised they were putting a plan into action, it was too late for me to do anything to stop them. There was only one way of saving them from the police. Ha! <laughs> do the crime yourself, eh? Well... Take the fall for it, at least. That's why I'm here. But they're not out of the woods yet. There's there's still a chance they could get caught. And obviously I can't have them visit me here. It's too risky. Well, that's your own fault for letting someone else get involved, isn't it, Grandad? But it proved my plan worked. And they haven't found the loot. In the dark, I, I could just make out a smug smile on his old face. ''Well, they haven't found my loot, either,'' I said, indignant. ''You mean you got away with the cash?'' ''Oh, yeah!'' he leaned forward. ''Listen, son, you seem smart. You're out in a couple of months. Think you could get a message to my grandkids. Like what?'' Oh, ''They only knew the mechanics of the plan, so they don't know everything they've got.'' ''Well, they got the loot, right? Just because you're the brains doesn't mean they're idiots.'' Stealing the loot were just a cover. The real prize is the paperwork that were with it. Access to a numbered bank account worth a fortune. The owner's dead and the bank doesn't know. It'll just sit there unless someone explains what the numbers mean to my grandkids. Then they can dump the cash and be untraceable. OK, I said, impressed. Well, maybe you are the brains. But the paperwork is meaningless unless you know what it is. They haven't got a clue, but the police will know straight away if my kids are ever caught with it. That's why I need you, someone I can trust, to get the message to them. What's in it for me? Well, they'll make it worth your while. I'll make sure of that. (laughs) Like I need your money. I've got my dosh stashed away in a perfect hiding place. No such thing. Someone can stumble on it and you're screwed. A stash needs guarding. But then you've involved someone else and they can screw you over. Not if they don't know they're guarding it. Not possible. Yeah, it is. My mate Dave's flat is right by where I grabbed the cash. I went straight to his place and stuffed it behind the gas meter while he was on the loo. No one will ever know it's there. No one will find it by accident. And Dave will guard it without even realising it. The old guy nodded. ''Yeah, that that does seem a good spot. I can even see his flat from there, over there on the dock's third floor.'' I pointed and realised daylight were breaking. We talked all night. With a rattling, the cell door started to open. The old guy patted me on the back. ''Well, son, your first night inside and you got through it.'' ''Yeah. Thanks, brains. My pleasure.'' He struggled to his feet as our cell door opened, turned and winked at me. See you at breakfast, we can talk more about that little job you might do for me. But I didn't see Brains at breakfast. I looked all over for him, I asked everyone about him, everyone just shrugged indifferently. He's gone, the guard said. What, dead? No, he's out, released today. My head was spinning as I mumbled, but I thought... Oh, crap. I need to make a phone call. Not till after lunch, son. The morning passed in an agony of slowness until finally I got my phone call. Dave, has anyone been round to the flat? No. Why? Thank God. Listen, you know your gas meter? Ah, that's weird. The guy came to read the meter this morning. Was he an old bloke? Wow, you're reading minds or something now. Yeah, he was really old. I felt sorry for the old bugger still having to work. I hung up the phone. Crap. Towards the end of the afternoon, I was called over by a guard. They need to see you in a warden's office. He led me in and sitting behind a desk in a suit was brains flanked by two uniformed policemen. On a table, in a clear plastic bag, was the cash box I'd stolen. I sat, despondent. And it's got your fingerprints all over it, he said. What did I tell you last night? To wear gloves. And? uh, That you were a copper. And? uh, He shook his head sympathetically that they wouldn't let me retire, he beamed a triumphant smile at me. We'll be seeing you in court again very soon. How long will I get? I asked. He looked up at me. Depends on how much you nicked. You went straight to your mate's flat, right? Yeah. So I guess you didn't even get the chance to count how much you'd got away with? No. That's what I thought. He held up the cash box and winked. "'Who knows? Maybe you'll get a lucky break "'and there won't be as much in here as you thought.' "'And there wasn't. "'In fact, there was much less than had been reported stolen. "'But the young Turks couldn't figure out what had happened to the rest, "'so I only got 12 months. "'Brains picked me up when I was released. "'It'd been a regular visitor. "'We'd become surprisingly good friends.' Thick as thieves, you might say. The guard at the gates nodded when I was released. Stick to the straight and narrow from now on. No more spare-of-the-moment robberies, eh? Don't worry. I'll never do anything so stupid again. I grinned. I got brains now.
0: Very twisty. So the detective wasn't a criminal,
1: or or was he? I wanted it to be a bit ambiguous. Is he joining forces with the younger guy as partners in crime, or, or is he actually trying to protect him from a life of crime?
0: Ooh, And for the benefit of anyone who hasn't heard the other episodes, this is part of the Great Gloucester Novel Project, where you got inspiration from groups around Gloucester to write short stories for them. Uh, but then the stories were used in turn as inspiration for a novel, The Pride of Gloucester. So um, how does this story fit into the novel?
1: Well, the novel is is like a sinister parallel universe version of the project itself. Uh, A writer arrives in Gloucester from outside and tells stories to the people he meets, but it's it's not a spoiler to say he's got a hidden agenda and there are other sinister forces giving him instructions. It's no accident that the first episode of the series went live on Halloween, as that's when the novel's events are going to come to a head. Uh, And as the novel progresses, though this character starts to fall in love with the city and, and have a change of heart and has to try and prevent what's going to happen. Right. So a, a device in the novel is that the stories he's making up on the spot reflect what's going on in his head and how his attitudes are changing. There's a point where he's trying to figure out how he feels by listing the story he's he's told so far and trying to work out what they mean and why they came why he came up with them. Uh, he realises this story is about using a false identity to trick people, which is what he himself is doing, only he hasn't thought of it like that before. So it's a kind of uh, an epiphany for him.
0: So all the groups, all the stories you wrote for the groups, they work like that in the book?
1: Uh, yeah, Yeah, there was a point in the project where I was just baffled as to how I'd use the stories to build a novel. They were all so different. Um this week's story is a crime story. Next week's episode is is about wild animals hiding in plain sight in Gloucester town centre and uh well there's even a story in the book about biscuits going on a medieval quest. (laughs) So I I was really happy when I realised I could use the stories to illustrate the storyteller's mental state and tie the
0: whole plot of the novel together with them. Excellent. So, listeners, you can get hold of a copy by clicking the link in the description of this episode or going to ebay.co.uk and searching for Pride of Gloucester, which is the title of the novel. And as you said, next week's story, the last in this series, is an animal story. So, listener, tune in next week for The Animals Under the Cathedral. And Andrew, we'll see you then. Thanks, Jarek. I can't wait. The Great Gloucester Novel is part of the Gloucester Tales podcast presented and written by Jarek Adams and Andrew Thorne. The Great Gloucester Novel Project was funded by Arts Council England.